0: Hello, and welcome back to whatever this is or isn't or will be. We kind of started to know what this is, though. Um, At least I can see it much better now. I don't know if you read the disruption of the podcasts, but I've actually decided that, or maybe decided is not the right word here, maybe the word that I'm looking for is I've kind of tapped into what I want this podcast to be, and I want to explore it further. So, and I'll I'll just do like a brief introduction on what I mean by that. For the longest time now, I've uh, I've been exploring a side of myself that I perhaps always had in me, but I never really let myself accept. and uh, I never really let myself truly, truly love. And this is my vulnerability, or perhaps just a more vulnerable side of me. You know, I grew up as the kid who was always told to grow up, right? I I was, I was the kid that because i was the child (laughs) because i was the youngest in my family i was always pushed by um, my environment to to just grow up and not be a kid and i think this kind of did the opposite for me it made me really hold on to that childish aspect within me which you know to to large extent i absolutely love perhaps it's my favorite part of me in today's day and age um, and trust me I've been I've gone through a lot of hurdles to be able to say those words and still I even feel a little bit guilty right there's a little bit of that guilt just by saying those words because it, make, it makes me feel like I'm you know somehow being selfish or, or whatever but it's true like I'm a bit of backstory on me. I am the fourth child of a family where most people were already adults, almost adults by the time I was born. Like they were teenagers, let's say. My my older brother and sister and then my younger brother, he was six years older than me. They were sort of at this phase of life where every time I'd be where they were when I was born, they were already maybe two steps ahead, right? Like in terms of growth and if you have nieces or nephews, and if you just have lo- older siblings, right? If you've if you've seen a human being go through their uh, uh, po- process of growth, right, from from child to adult, especially like the full cycle of becoming <laughs> your own human. Uh, you you get to see that it's a bit it's it's quite exponential, right? Like it starts off a bit slow and then it just sort of explodes. but then as it gets to the top, it's just harder to feel that different, right um, so for me, you know being being the kid growing growing into this family, it was always sort of this 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 unspoken demand to grow up um. And because I was fighting it, I was rebelling it, maybe sub- subconsciously, I was rebelling against this idea. Like I didn't want to grow up and um, I was chastised by it, right? As it tends to happen with kids, <laughs> you're, you know, you, you don't want to, you, you, you are chastised for the things that you rebel against. And then you just kind of fulfill this, it, then that makes you rebel even more. So it fulfills the cycle and i grew up thinking that you know i am that rebel i am this 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 kid that is in, is the in between not the was always exposed by grown ups so somehow i was exposed to a lot more than i should have seen and i should have known uh maybe, for my age, right, and at the same time, I would expose myself to kids and then refuse to grow right to the to the to the childish world to the childish way of thinking of seeing the world, and by that, I mean sheer curiosity, like approaching everything with just this unquenchable thirst for for all things new, you know and um, I became this kind of mixture of a person, but then I ran away from from responsibility in a way right i grew i I grew up in in, in to some extent rejecting my own emotions and rejecting my own feelings and telling myself that you know perhaps what I was told my life, like telling myself that no, this feeling isn't mine, and I don't want it, like whatever I will deal with it, I will um, I will take control of it. I will seize control of it. It will not control me. I will grow out of it, you know. Uh, and I was, I wasn't like that with other people around me, you know, with other people around me. I was capable enough to to see and observe their needs. Um, and I would listen and I would, uh, I would give them all the empathy that I had and, at the same time be able to starve myself of any empathy that I could have for myself, any, any kind of understanding or love. I I guess love is a synonym of understanding. It wasn't until late adulthood. And I I guess last episode, um, the in-between is flow. Last episode got me thinking a lot. And I did talk about uh, a little bit about my slam poetry experiences and I'll, I'll get there. Uh, actually I'll get there now so it wasn't until this young adulthood uh, maybe maybe this was like s- seven years ago no wait uh, six five five six years ago when I was in Kosovo okay maybe it was seven years ago already damn uh, <laughs> and I I approached this local community called Teramo I approached them and asked them uh if they were still doing these slam poetry events because I saw that they were doing something like that. I had just gotten back from the US and I'm like, you know what? I I want to look into this. You know, I want to explore this. I've been writing my whole life and I was writing poetry and I started like watching uh, these YouTube videos of slam poets around the world. My f- absolute favorite one is Sarah Kay. She has uh, just about the most beautiful poetry that I've ever felt performed. My favorite one of hers is If I Should Have a Daughter. That one, uh, every time I see it, I, I go through it and, you know, I end up a different person. Like a different part of me is kind of unlocked And I absolutely love it. Like, I love this kind of performative art that is just this experience of art that changes you in the end. You know, I think that's the goal of anything that we create. And this is the goal of this podcast, to some extent, is to open up a new pathway, like open up a new... Whether that be like a literal neuron connection or a metaphorical uh, fork in the in your river, right, which which is your 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 flow, your sense of self, your your process of becoming who you are and who you will be, right? That like if 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 it entices even a little bit of change, like that's the goal, and it's not in terms of changing the state in which you are but just opening a path to the new to something new and there's always room for that right and that's why i think we consume media and we we look for for new things and especially performative art like this i think has the capacity to dig in somewhere where we don't really explore maybe not willingly and that is uh, our emotional pathways I think intellectually speaking, like i i've I've observed that you know throughout the years, i I always take myself as reference because you know I like to start from the point of origin, and all of our point of origins is ourselves. First, it's our parents, um, or rather the, the absolute first person is our mothers, if we or our mother figure. And then, you know, that expands and eventually that needs to be reflected, that that mirror needs to be reflected back onto us and we're constantly trying to figure out who this is, who the point of origin is, but through other people. If you think of other people as mirrors, angled in different ways broken at different angles and perhaps not even capable of truly reflecting the reality as it truly is but you know it creates a distorted reality uh or a distorted pers- pers- perception of reality uh still you know these these people they 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 come and go into our lives and uh depending on where we stand with them and where we want them really in our lives that's how we wanna see ourselves, right? That's the image that we wanna create of ourselves. Um, and for me, this is what I'm calling like the point of origin is what 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 this point of origin is for us. So that's why I like to, uh, when I speak of all, I I consider all to be just a reflection of a pattern, which I am myself a part of, as you are, as everyone is. And if I can understand my part of the pattern well enough, then it might as well maybe strike a chord and, and into your patterns or into someone else's patterns. And the idea is just to expose that. Uh, so if you're wondering, I guess, if you were wondering why this has become a thing uh, for me and why I reveal such deep and personal information is because of that. So back to the topic. Right, point of origin, we understand where that's coming from. I think of myself growing up and I recognize that intellectually speaking, I was always exploring. I was curious about everything. I was reading about everything, just about everything on the top of the earth that I could find. I was reading. I was reading about sciences. I was reading about biology, chemistry. I was just absolutely fascinated by biology at the time. The way that I saw the world and the way that I would explore the world was much or maybe maybe the first metaphors that I built of the world's patterns were through biology was my favorite class at school and you know biology teachers were somehow always my favorite teachers um so I used to love the sciences and I I still do right I've just kind of uh installed them deep into my core they've they've like they've like become my firmware and they're no longer on like my operating system level right they're not part of my software anymore it's just deep into my firmware and it's it's maybe where like they're the main filters of of how i draw my my parallels uh of patterns in the world and how i make up my, my metaphors of live of life and how I observe life in the living. Um, so I had built up all this intellectual rapport and, uh, by, by just reading and exposing myself to everything, if, uh, but what I what I wasn't exploring and what I wasn't digging deep into were my my own feelings. Where what was I what was I feeling about the world that was revolving around me? Like I was observing all the time, and I was incredibly curious. And we say in Albanian there's this world called called Chupcot and that's like when you. Uh, Hmm. You know, when you're, let's say, you're, you're, you're standing on a table and a little bit of wood of, uh, is, is chipped off of it, like just a little piece of the skin of the wood. And if you're chop cotton, <laughs> if you're chop caught it, <laughs> then that means that, you know, you're, 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 you're putting your nail in and you're just sort of anxiously or nervously or just mindlessly really like digging into it or, you know, curiously or whatever. Um, but you just can't stop playing nibbling with it. No, not nibbling. Maybe there is a word in English and it's not coming to mind, but I'm pretty sure you've thought about it. Uh, and you know what I mean, but if not, then, you know, it'll come up probably. It'll come up and I'll go back to it. Uh, so, so anyway, irrelevant. It's, It's completely irrelevant right now. So I've done this basically with every topic that is that has come across, but not of my feelings not what I was not what I was ex- uh, ex- absorbing from the world, right not the narratives that I was absorbing in the world narratives that dictated how I felt or narratives about what I felt. Like, what would happen when I would feel angry? Like, what does that look like for me? Like, how do I get angry? And why do I get angry? And and how do I avoid it? You know, or what does love mean to me? What does it mean to be liked by my friends, by my people, by my family? What does it mean to be understood, to be, to be seen, to feel seen? You know, what, what does any of this mean? And I I didn't form an understanding of this until well into uh, my 20s, even. But it started off as a spark of something in my early 20s when I got curious about that. I got curious about my feelings. I fell in love for the first time. I, I wanted to really understand what this feeling was and why it was taking complete control of me and why I was feeling it so deeply and passionately. And I wasn't accepting it. I was not accepting it or understanding it. Thus, I had a very hard time allowing myself to feel it. Maybe it wasn't the first time I'd fallen in love. Maybe I'd fallen in love much earlier than that. And whenever i well, I've had my crushes and I've had my obsessions of youth. But always I've just buried it down. I've buried it and translated it. Writing about it somehow, somewhere. Until the faithful day when I asked about slam poetry. When I saw Sarah Kay first performing If I Should Have a Daughter, to me it was... Such truth spoken, but spoken through a piece that she wrote. It felt like it was a code to her feelings, like she was reciting a code to her feelings. <laughs> and there it was. And then you could just see it and feel it with her and share in that moment, like the same vein of of, of pain, of happiness, of joy Right, and it's it's you know something that I've felt and something that I've experienced my whole life, and I just couldn't do it for myself, right? I couldn't I couldn't possibly turn that mirror and and allow myself to see it inside of me, because it just felt so vulnerable, right? And and I and I used to think that that was a synonym to weakness, until that until slam poetry, it was so powerful somehow. really stuck with me so when i went back in kosovo i saw that somebody was doing it there and i'm like well i i want to go i want to i want to see people perform and luck had it anyway that um i was told that there wasn't anything like that but that i could organize it if i wanted to and i was like what (laughs) um and you'll get to see that i don't know how to say no a lot and I'm happy sometimes for it, especially like in this case, for example. I'm very happy that I did not say no. <laughs> and I said, sure, let's give it a try. Let's uh let's see where it goes, I guess. And we, you know, from from there on out, like uh I was um I was told, you know, okay, you're gonna meet a couple of the people and you know, set it up, go. <laughs> I was uh I was ecstatic <laughs> and I actually got to set it up at this uh, bar where I used to work at uh, called Sonder. I, um, that was the first edition of the Poetic Release slam Poetry events, or Slime Poetic as it is called in Albanian. And I still remember clear as day and every Slam Poetry event that I've moderated ever since I tell the story. So it's about time that I tell it in this podcast. I... Uh... That very day, um, I got up and I was moderating. So I was asking people, you know, do you guys want to read? And everybody, everybody was telling me, no, I don't write poetry. No, I don't do that. Like, I don't write. I don't read my poetry. It's just for me. Or, you know, they were saying, no, 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 I'm not going to read. I don't go up. I don't go up on the stage. I don't do this with the microphones. Everybody was being shy and reluctant, obviously, to, to do something like that. It was a huge step. And I was worried, you know, I was worried that we were, well, were we not going to have someone there to to, to recite? And I had a few poems myself, and I had never read in person before. So I said, you know what, nobody's going to do this if at least somebody doesn't do it first. And I'm just going to go, I'm just going to start with it. I'm going to read it first. So I pick up the mic and I introduce the event and I you know, make the opening and I tell everyone, look, this is just us in this room. And I would like to create this safe space in this, 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 this open space where you can just be yourselves, um, share things that, you know, share poetry with us and not be judged, not feel judged. And I started reading a poem that I wrote years back uh, that I had no true understanding of it because I didn't have a true understanding of myself. And it just so happened that the poem got its own character, like the poem found in a way its protagonist and and it happened within the course of the previous month, let's say, and I read it and I felt it inside of me. I felt the poem go through all of the nodes, go through, like touch all of the points that I didn't want to admit to myself and I didn't wanna see for what it was and I didn't want to accept it and i didn't necessarily want to to say it in me for the person that it that it became for that it was somehow predestined for but i did it anyway and after that uh people started to to raise their hands and you know people started to say hey like i'm i i want to read <laughs> I to read my poem, and a lot of people that raised their hands that day kept coming to children's poetic events, poetic release, um, kept coming to our events for the next year, like, regularly. And it was just so good to see. And there was this one person there that came from another country, from Albania, actually. She came there, and she said something that I will never forget, and ever since then, it has become kind of a centerpiece of everything that i create i i seem to somehow experience again through that through that speech she said i traveled here today to read this poem to you strangers that i don't know <laughs> i'm going to read this poem and i'm going to take it like as a piece and i'm going to throw it out there into the audience I just kind of, she was saying, like, in a way, like, not necessarily getting rid of it, but just, like, taking it and just throwing it out. She said, and you, it lands on your lap, and you, you do whatever you want with it. You can throw it in the trash, you can plant it in the soil, you can throw it in the river, whatever you do with it. That's your decision. I am simply here to speak it. And I feel like I took that piece that she shared that day and I still have it with me. (laughs) And every once in a while, I just look at that seed and what it stood for. And that, to me, was almost the seed to vulnerability. So I kept doing them. I kept doing the Chirinpoetik events. We made a small team and uh, we, we organized events all throughout the year. We made these little workshops and uh, where you know we would just have people writing their own poetry like with prompts for example just figure out give people tools to express themselves give people tools to to put their feelings in words and every slam poetry event. That I would pick up the mic. And start. Start the night. Start the evening off. Whatever I read. Whatever. whatever was It started with. If it was. People insecure of their decisions. If, if it was people insecure. If they were ever going to be able to share something that deep. People insecure. If they were ever really. Mm, going to feel. Going to accept the words that would come out of their mouth if they were to truly read the poems they wrote you know if people were to actually accept the fact that they wrote those poems themselves that they wrote those sentences that that was their narrative as they read it out loud to themselves I think it was a powerful reminder to every one of them that those feelings were valid so I'm very proud of that I'm very proud of what transpired every evening of those events and every time I go back home I I have this nostalgia about them and you know they still happen po- poetic events like some poetry events still happen but poetic release in poetic will always be this 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 thing that started this uh, in Albanian we say this früm, this breath. <laughs> Of something else that really stayed with people. And it really stayed with me in the spirit of whatever that was. I've just learned to call it vulnerability and accepting it. So that's what I want this podcast to be. I want it to continue in the vein That I already dove deep in. Although I consider myself to be an empathetic person. When it comes to other people. When it comes to understanding other people's feelings. When it comes to being compassionate. When it comes to loving other people. But I didn't know how that what that looked like within me and now that I'm exploring that a lot more um and for the past year and a half you know been exploring that through therapy and through my writing and through everything every walk of life through my friends through my through my people my and mostly therapy of course helped precipitate that um I've I've seen and realized that we are so much more of our narratives than we believe than we like to believe we are the narratives that we choose to become and ultimately at the core of it all it is a choice although our initial narratives are not are written by authors be that are here before our time before our understanding before maybe our consciousness of ourselves. So be that our predecessors or even our parents. Before we truly understand how to, how to say our own name. How to be spoken to. And how to speak as ourselves. This narrative is written by somebody who we look up to. And then when we grow up to be the person that we are meant to be. Or obviously just when we are becoming the people that we are choosing to become if we we lose we can lose sight of that narrative and we can lose sight of the fact that it might not be the kind of driving force that we want us driving forward or that it is driving us in directions that we do not want to go down at least this was my realization. And now I am trying and attempting to change that. And in this process, sort of, this is where you come in. You know, as I am rambling on for maybe hours, I would think uh, that as I explore these trains of thoughts and as I share these 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 feelings from the journal, uh, or maybe as I share these rationalizations of the world from through the journal I can also share some insight on how you can tap into those veins yourself in yourself not bad I guess for the first few episodes in terms of understanding what this is <laughs> and it's kind of going back go back to going back to the point of origin huh and the point of origin that is not myself, but that is vulnerability. And it is at the core of us all. You know, I guess what vulnerability is, is just sort of exposing is just exposing those narratives that you have inside. Now that I think about it. If we really if we really go by the idea that we we are the narratives that we choose to become. When you expose those narratives, as you as you learn about those narratives, and as you understand them first, and then comes acceptance, and then comes love, or, rather, or actually, it's, it might be, you know, first comes acceptance, then understanding, and then love, and then compassion, and then, you know, it opens way. It's not linear, not necessarily, but they uplift each other. other. It's like they, they fulfill each other as they connect to and with each other. So the energy that they generate becomes more powerful. So sharing this narrative is truly vulnerability, right? At the core of it. It isn't necessarily being weak. It's being open. It is the literal meaning of being an open book. And to some extent, that's kind of how I consider myself. I've always considered myself an open book, but you just have to flip the pages and ask. (laughs) Uh, And now I'm, I guess, I am doing the flipping of the pages myself. So welcome to that podcast. (laughs) Yeah, it's the middle of it. And I'm already saying that. Okay. So I'm going to go and start flipping these pages and find my prompt for the night as if I need one. You know, tonight I am a little bit less energetic. Um, It's been an interesting day. I had an examination this morning and I was under full anesthesia and morphine for the most of the day. And now as it is like, morphine or whatever it was. Now it's like coming down and it's been obviously it's been it's been a long time. It's it's even past midnight. So it's been a long time since that happened, but I'm still picking it up. So I'm you know refueling my energy. And that's maybe why I even felt this this level of of em- emotionality. <laughs> this this Hypersensitivity, maybe, is what inspired me to really dig deep into this feeling again of vulnerability. So, okay. Flipping the pages now. I had an epiphany during a road trip last week. Long ago. I wrote about entropy and how life was put in motion because of it, to summarize it. It's been following me ever since, the idea that chaos is much like time, not a linear concept, but it also relies on perception, also known as the theory of relativity, to be observed and defined. We constantly attempt to control our lives and decisions to the point we drive ourselves into desperation. When we realize the more we try to grab a hold of our paths in life and push against its currents that are in constant flux, the more chaotic our lives really become, the more it pushes against us. The more comfortable we are, the less happy we feel in our comfort zones. Then, of course, there's those of us who are happy enough to be given the random gift of existence and are satisfied with what we're given. But I've noticed that by By far, the less we're given the more capable we are to let go of our meaninglessness and lack of real control of our outcomes and simply take what we are given. Long ago, I believed I was in search for something. Whatever this was, I felt my life was guiding me towards it, and I had to do my damnedest to observe my decisions and influence my income, the outcomes to determine whether or not I'm succeeding or still heading in the right direction. I scrutinized my path and the thought process to determine, albeit in a very blind manner as I had no way of really knowing if and what the something was, whether I was doing the right thing. I felt miserable and eventually reached a point in my path where I thought I might have already failed my mission, if you will, as if my purpose was in an alternate universe I had failed to travel to or make the right conditions for it to be the one I currently occupy. And in short, my life felt useless, pointless and meaningless. I had no place I found solace in. Nothing could comfort my self-proclaimed loss. It was somewhere amid my introspections that I understood how much power I was given to my ability to perceive my reality knowing well and full how limited that ability really is. And I was assuming that I had exhausted all the potential perspectives from which my position made sense or felt like had a lesson to, like it had a lesson to teach me. I had diminished the relevance chaos had in even the creation of that ability and forgot that whether or not we realize or perceive it It is in constant motion, fluctuating between and beyond our sense of self. Regardless of our relative understanding of life and our existence, it will go on. It doesn't stop or wait or observe or attempt to understand or convenience anything or anyone. It's just chaos. It's in a perpetual state of chaos. And it's ironic and equally random that we can observe it from where we stand. So what gives us the right to claim it? or spend our days trying to control it. What is the point in pretending we know what the right thing to do is? We are not creatures built on righteousness or premeditated decisions meant to convenience the greater good. We are creatures creatures of chance, capable of adapting to even the least probable of circumstances. We are made in chaos, by chaos, for chaos. With the ability to observe and understand, it does not come the ability to seize it it is to accept it so we can live with it and grow because of it love in spite of it oh this is a reference uh, to a book The Name of the Wind by Patrick Rothfuss beautiful book I would 100% recommend anyway this is Definitely a more complex epiphany than I thought. Perhaps I haven't understood it quite as well. Or perhaps I'm not meant to. All I know is that it all makes sense now. I don't know where to go. I now know that I don't have to. I will when I get there. Huh. Doing the right thing, this is an interesting one, Uh, doing the right thing, I think we forget about this a lot, I think we forget about what doing the right thing means us and I think we even completely disregard the fact that doing the right thing shouldn't concern anything else other than ourselves. And I don't mean that to be to be encouraging self-centric, right? Self-centricism. <laughs> It's not about being self-centric. The world doesn't revolve around us. Actually, it's 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 actually beside that. The world doesn't revolve around us. We are a node of a connection in this world, in the network of all that is alive and becoming every day. And if we do not tend to our narratives, we risk our existence, we risk our well being, we risk our joy. And risking our joy means risking the joy of the people that we love and love us and care for us and look up to us or uh, are connected to us. To some extent, taking care of ourselves is our true, one true, one only responsibility. And to do the right thing usually means to do the right thing, not to hurt people, to do the right thing, not to do something or other to someone or something else or for something else, for someone else. And yes, that is true, right? Do no harm. But that also applies to you, to ourselves, and I think what I was realizing here in this epiphany, and I have to say it's been so many years, I this is also one of those things that I forgot over the years and then, you know, I just, you trip, you fall, you forget. But to some extent, part of that also went down to the firmware, to, to this level where it just didn't change, it didn't need to change anymore. It was, there were things growing on top of it now, building on top of it now and observing the things that came after especially what's interesting about this observation on chaos right there's this thing where it's like we are creatures of chance capable of adapting to even the least probable of circumstances we are made in chaos by chaos for chaos and this idea that um we try to gain control of it to seize it right to 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 somehow consider that we That we can even do that. That we have the power and the strength to do something like that. That is what we should do, right? That that is where meaning is. And actually meaning, if we look even to Eastern culture, meaning is in surrender. True meaning. True meaning lies in surrender. In submission to the flow of things. And this is what is absolutely interesting. Why I'm saying, why I'm so fascinated by it is that is because two years later, I found myself in a place where my health had completely taken a turn. And I wasn't even able to pinpoint the day, the time, the, 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 the era in which it started going wrong. Perhaps in some ways it was always wrong. But I was just too busy distracting myself to actually notice And when all distractions had faded away, had quieted down, and it was just me and my thoughts, and I'm talking pre-pandemic even, the pandemic just sort of intensified that, uh, was kind of a catalyst to this process. I realized that all that I tried to do in my anxiety, in my fear, all that I tried to do is gain control of it. That was my instinct, was to was to put it under a microscope, to see every thin layer of it that it had, to offer every freaking molecule and atom and how they interacted with each other, like everything. I had to know it. I had to seize control of it. I had to understand. If somebody would have told me, like, your breathing is wrong, I would have probably, or, you know, if I felt like, if I would have felt like something was wrong with my breathing, I would have tried taking control of that. But, you know, thankfully we we can't really survive too long. It's like too extraneous too. It's too hard for us to do that, to take control of our breathing. So eventually it does go into automated mode. And I'm sorry if now I made you conscious of your breathing and you have to spend some seconds or minutes in some sort of despair because you need to do it manually. That's what I'm talking about. Right? You're not supposed to gain control of things like this. You're supposed to let them be. You're supposed to let them be in their own sort of process, in their own flow. In their own I'm I'm trying to look for a word. I'm looking for a word here. In their own tempo. Things happen in their own time in their own place in their own way in their own linear dynamic way it doesn't matter like the river flows in its riverbed and sometimes something happens and it forks and it carves a path and it creates destruction or it can create life like it's not up to us that's chaos but some things just remain the same the laws of physics are always the same gravity pulls you down that's it it's some things are truly simple as simple as that And in the case of our breathing, we can regain control of it and we can breathe deeper and we can become conscious of our breath. We can become conscious of the fact that we don't breathe deep, that we are very shallow breathers. We can become conscious of the fact that we hold our breaths when something or someone hurts our feelings. We can become conscious of the way that we feel, that we breathe. And this is important. You can become conscious of the way that you breathe, but you don't necessarily uh, needs to gain control of it. You can simply observe it from a place like I was talking in the previous episode, sort of observing yourself in a state of flow that is what it truly is. You can observe yourself when you're breathing, but you don't interact with it. Otherwise, you pull yourself out of that state of flow. You pull yourself out, and now you have sort of ripped yourself from this process of becoming and you've stopped yourself in the here and now but i and i don't mean in the here and now as in the mindful here and now as in understanding yourself in all dimensions and understanding yourself in a in a in a in a point in time that doesn't exist (laughs) but rather understanding yourself obsessively in the in the now and this moment as you are observing it goes away and you keep focusing on it, thus effectively focusing on the past. And I'm talking about anxiety here, right? Like something starts happening to me right now. I start to feel anxious. I start to my hands start to shake or I start to sweat. and I just start to feel cold all of a sudden. and I'm thinking, oh, do I have a fever or whatever? I think that I am focusing in the moment, right? I think that I am focusing in the here and now, but actually what it is that I'm doing, I am allowing myself to be obsessed with moments that are passing. And I am panicking and I am scaring myself because I simply refuse to feel what I am feeling. I have pulled myself from the state of flow because I th- I was just looking too closely into it. So, yeah, to to reconnect with this train of thought, doing the right thing by for yourself needs to come with being able to observe yourself from this perspective without engaging with it, without engaging with the process, simply observing it and understanding it and seeing it for what it truly is, and then letting it happen. Letting it happen and understanding that you don't have control of it. If something needs to be done, you will do it. You will have to do it. And this is the realization that I had over the course of the past two years that I was struggling with my health. It keeps, and I still go back and forth. I'm still learning this 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 lesson and I'm pretty damn sure that, you know, looking 10 years into my future, a lot of things are gonna be happening to my health because I'm only human right? And I'm reaching this point in life where, yeah, my body is going to start showing symptoms of all the things that have happened to it in the past and present and will happen to it in the future. I will try to change and help it serve this world longer, right? But, you know, I, I still will have to be this, 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 uh, I still will have to To be observant enough, but not necessarily do what I did in the beginning, where I was putting it under a microscope and I was dissecting it as well. Instead of just feeling my feelings, I observed myself in this state and I pulled myself out of it into this realm of anxiety where everything felt too hard. <laughs> everything it was too unknown, too difficult. I wasn't ready. I couldn't do this. I was alone, right? Like all kinds of things. You just don't feel ready for the challenge. If you remember from the previous, uh, from the previous, the in between is flow from the previous episode, this was the main goal. It's the challenge versus skill level. So understanding really what was the doing the right thing. What what does it mean to do the right thing? When the right thing sometimes is the hardest thing to do. When the right thing sometimes generates an extreme amount of pain relative to what you felt so far. What do you do then? What do you do with that? and to be honest with you i don't have an answer for you other than f- f- uh, describing what it was like for me and going through this phase of anxiety and not knowing what was happening with my body and thinking that it was broken that i was broken somehow that i would never be able to fix it and go back to who i was before to to this 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 vital and healthy person that i was before that didn't have to worry every day about what i eat and what i do and what i drink It's not that that person is never going to, it's not that I'm never going to be this person again. Like These were, these are my realizations. This is my realizations. It's not that I will never be that person again. I am that person. I always was and I always will be at the core of it all. What I am trying to do now is I'm trying to redesign my narrative so that it's healthier for me in the long run. So that I nourish myself instead of spend myself, feed on myself. My body is not here for me to feed on it. You know, I don't use it for something. It's not mine to use or take advantage of. It is mine to nourish and to help grow. Uh, My fateful child. (laughs) There is a snippet. Somewhere in that in this not a snippet, like a journal entry somewhere in it about a sunflower, which I will share at some point uh, it will come up, but yeah, the more I grow, the more I realize that doing the right thing is not understanding the formula of how to live life. Doing the right thing is understanding in your own context, in your own vein of your own narrative, what does it mean to do the right thing for you? And we start there. So, from a this is a very super deep, but still kind of a rudimentary understanding of the path within. Um, and what really helps me come to sort of to certain conclusions is, uh, especially when it comes to understanding the context of people and context of yourself is there narr- is sorry metaphors because the world is full of patterns a metaphor and we you look to the eastern culture and it's just it's it's fascinating for me that they do this already they have all they have all kinds of metaphors for life. I I once read in this gift actually very recently I read that again and I'm happy that I did that although I don't remember the exact name of uh, of this practice. I have a collection of cards which uh, from it's called Eastern philosophy, and it was gifted to me by my best friend and she she just makes the best gifts so this book this every card kind of goes deep dives into into one of the eastern philosophies and there was one particular that i came across the other day and it was about rocks and how poets uh poets in the far east at some point, started growing obsessed with rocks. And they were writing poems about rocks. They were writing about how rocks were, some of the poets were considering, and philosophers, they were considering rocks their best friends. Because in their shapes, in their figures, they would see a lot more than just a rock. And they would say the beauty of a rock is that you can see it from multiple perspectives and then carve out meaning from each face that you turn it on. And I think that that is absolutely beautiful. As kind of crazy as it can sound, it's beautiful. Because it tells me that they they took that rock and they used it as a metaphor for their feelings. They used it as a metaphor to describe the world as they see it through this rock. As they experience it. But they describe it through this rock, through the metaphor of this rock. And I just think that that is beautiful. So I can kind of relate. I can relate to the way that they see the world. I can relate to the way that they put thoughts together. And I think it's just beautiful. So, you know, I would encourage you if for you to do the same or try to do the same. Find a metaphor for something. And maybe this could be kind of an exercise. Find one narrative of yours, just one simple narrative. It can be something as simple as that and then try to find a metaphor for that feeling. How does that make you feel? And try to find a metaphor for it. Put yourself in a case scenario. You know, I like to ask people, especially when I first meet them, I like to ask them what their favorite season is. I think that their favorite season tells me a lot about them. More on that on the next episode Because right now it's time for bed So I bid you all Good night I hope that you enjoyed this Low-key episode And perhaps a lot of them are going to be like this Because this is Come to think of it, this is actually me This is just This is also really me It's just a more quieter me (laughs) These days I'm mostly quiet This just happens to be affected By an exhausting past couple of days. Thank you for joining, and I hope that you found something in this flow of thought of mine to feed...